Pentecost is a really special day. But the simple truth of something, you know, the heart, the core of something, is often more profitable than complex theological paths that we could follow, that we could explore. Simplicity is often the better way. So let's get oriented to Pentecost. Jesus died and rose again over the feast of Passover, right? He came to Jerusalem to die at an appointed time. He knew what he was doing when he came to Jerusalem at Passover in order to fulfill the Passover. What was Passover? It was the remembrance, the feast of remembrance of God delivering his people from a life of slavery in Egypt. 400 years they were enslaved, they were in bondage. And at Passover, uh, God had brought judgment on all of Egypt. 1,400 years before Jesus, God had directed his people to take a lamb into their household, to kill the lamb and to put blood of that lamb over the doorway and on the doorposts of their house. So when judgment came to Egypt, to every family in Egypt, every house was judged. But the houses that had the blood of the lamb over them were passed over, and so it was called Passover. And God delivered his people that night, and he took them out of Egypt, and he brought them out of bondage, out of enslavement, so that that act of deliverance and then the sign of the lamb dying on behalf of the family became fixed as a feast, and it was pointing ahead to God's deliverance of all mankind. It was deliverance itself, and it was pointing ahead when Jesus would be the lamb to bleed for man. And so Jesus went self-consciously to Jerusalem at Passover. Fifty days after Jesus rose from the dead, because he def death couldn't hold him, Jews from all over the world were again in Jerusalem. They again came for a feast. And this time, they came to remember the next crucial event in the story of Israel. After they had been delivered from Egypt, after the Exodus, God brought his people to Mount Sinai. It took, it's recorded, it took 50 days. And they came to the mountain. And there God spoke to them through his presence in fire. He gave them his law, and he made a covenant with them. Uh, the Septuagint reads that the people, when they looked up, they saw the voice of God. Think about that. How do you see a voice? They saw the voice of God in tongues of fire. So there... God makes them a covenant people. He would be their God. They would be his people. And then, for 400 years as a tribal people, we know this through the Judges, the book of Judges, and then First and Second Samuel, uh, they failed. They failed miserably. They failed every chance they could, they could fail. They failed <laughs> to keep his law and to be his covenant people. And he faithfully delivered them, and he faithfully restored them, and they predictably did whatever they pleased. 
And then, in answer to their request, the Lord gave them a king to help them keep the law. They kind of threw up the we can't keep this law. We can't be a covenant people. We need you to force us. Give us a king. And so the king would force them to keep the law. He would put strictures around the customs. He would require their obedience. He would enforce justice. Force them to follow the law. And then they found that the adversaries, they feared adversaries outside of the kingdom, but they found that the adversaries inside the kingdom were as many as those outside. In fact, the adversaries were in each one of them. The enemies of Israel turned out to be the people of Israel. So when the disciples of Jesus gathered at Pentecost, the risen Christ had told them, as we heard in the gospel, he told them that uh, he would be sending an advocate. He would be sending the Holy Spirit who would be a helper, a counselor, a teacher, a comforter. Ten days before, at the ascension, which we celebrated ten days ago on a Thursday, Jesus ascended into the heavens and he told them that day, wait, wait for this. Now, because the disciples knew the history of their people, they, they followed the festivals. Jesus was always showing up at the feasts. His disciples learned these feasts are very important. God does things at the feasts. Jesus continuously was standing up at the feasts and doing new things, saying new things. And they knew the history of their people. They knew what Pentecost was about far better than we know what it was about. Making covenant with God, renewing covenant with God. So when they came to Jerusalem for this festival, Jesus has said, wait, the Holy Spirit is going to come. And that it was at Pentecost, 50 days after Passover, that is 50 days after he delivered them, that he taught them how to live. Now they've been delivered by Jesus. And he has told them he's going to come in his spirit. So something like that was bound to happen. He is going to teach us how to live as this newly delivered people. The fulfillments happen, so there's got to be another kind of fulfillment. So they were expectant when they came to that feast. And then when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place because they were expectant. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. They saw the voice of God. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then they were different. They were changed. I'm not saying they were completely different people. If you had a before and after picture of Peter, you've got a grubby Galilean fisherman and a grubby Galilean fisherman. But there was something radically different about each one. 
Peter was still quick to speak. We can see that he immediately hops up. <laughs> Same guy. Something different. Everyone we see still look to James and John as leaders. Uh, maybe they struggled a bit with self-promotion. It appeared that maybe they still struggled a bit with self-promotion. They're still a mostly illiterate group. They didn't suddenly become literate. They still liked fishing. Probably smelled kind of bad still. They are still Galilean peasants with bad grammar. But there's something new. We can see it, right? The, this same group, 50 days earlier, had forsaken Jesus and run when the mob came. Run even away naked, one of them. These are the same ones who were hiding behind locked doors on the day of the resurrection, trembling, terrified. Even when someone's knocking at the door, they, they don't even want to answer the door. They're, they were timid. They were waffling. Same guys. And now they stand up boldly in the midst of a festival, festival atmosphere, so uh, like... You could think Idaho State Fair combined with Thanksgiving. They, they stand up. Now, right, same guys, terrified, stand up in the middle of this feast and start shouting about the glory of God and the glory of Jesus. Soon they're going to get arrested and they're going to get beaten for talking about Jesus. And yet they continue to do it. They're going to start traveling around the known world in order to talk about Jesus. They're going to associate with non-Jews. They're going to cross boundaries they never imagined crossing. They're going to lose everything they've known. They're going to lose everything comfortable. And they're going to die one by one. And when one of them dies, do they cower? No, they're going to keep dying. They're going to keep moving because they have found an ongoing relationship with the one they had denied knowing. So what was it that happened at Pentecost? What happened in them when the Holy Spirit came upon them? Something changes. On one level, we can say the church was born. That's correct. A new covenant community was made. A covenant in the Holy Spirit where the keeping of the covenant, God takes on himself the responsibility to keep the covenant. Puts his spirit, his covenant-keeping spirit in people. So we become fulfillers of the covenant. He does it. That happens. Ezekiel talks about, I will write my law on your hearts. This is fulfilled. The giving of the law at Mount Sinai pointed to this. God putting his law in human hearts. Making an everlasting covenant with an everlasting people. That happens. That is true. But we must not stop at that explanation. If we stop at explaining if we stop at understanding theological truth, which this is what we've just said is true, 
we will miss the single most important change. The single most important thing that came upon this group and must come upon everyone who would see God. Through the Holy Spirit, God gave himself to people. He gave real love for himself. And that wasn't there before. It's divine love. It can't be there before because it comes from God. It's divine love. It's not naturally in a human being. And he becomes personally present in a human being. And that makes a person one with God and it makes an everlasting man and it makes an everlasting woman. That's what happened at Pentecost. Now consider this for a moment. It's not just, it cannot be just belief. It cannot be just knowing the truth. James says, you believe that God is one. You believe that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one. You do well. Good. Even the demons believe that. And shudder. It is not especially wonderful to have precise theological knowledge. What theologians do, that is not especially wonderful. We could live many lifetimes and still have less knowledge, weaker knowledge of God than the fallen angels do who stood in the presence of God and turned away. The devil's a scholar. The devil knows his Bible well, quotes it easily. For example, when Jesus came to Gerasa, the region of the Gerasenes, you remember the story, he steps off the boat. A man filled with demons comes running. The demons fall prostrate, fall at his feet. They're full of prayer, begging him to leave them alone. They had very correct fear of him. And they knew there was a judgment awaiting them. Here's what they said. What have you to do with us, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me before the time. Jonathan Edwards wrote about this. Here, it's external worship. The devil is religious. He prays. He prays in a humble posture. He falls down before Christ. He lies prostrate. He prays earnestly. He cries with a loud voice. He uses humble expressions. Respectful, honorable, adoring expressions. He has the fear of God. He has the terror of God. Knows Jesus to be the Most High. He's very correct. He's very precise in all of that. And Edwards concludes, nothing was wanting but love. The devil knows all of the truth and hates it and hates God. The Spirit of God is who brings love for God to a person. And that's what unites a person to God. That's what changes a life. Being born again is being born into the life of God. And God is love. God is agape. He's divine love. God isn't a, a warm, fuzzy feeling of attraction. He's divine love. 
Without the Spirit of God, we can be pious. Without the Spirit of God, we can be really good church attenders. Without the Spirit, we can be dutiful. We can be obedient. We can follow rules. We can definitely become reputable theologians without the Spirit of God. There are many. But without the Spirit, we can't love God as He is. As He is. In His truth, in His power, in His majesty, in His might, glory, and goodness, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we can't love Him as He is without His Spirit. So this is what happened to those timid, terrified, waffling disciples at Pentecost. They were filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and not only did the Spirit bring knowledge of the truth, which He did, the Spirit brought love for the one who is the truth. The Spirit gave love for Him, the one from whom all truth flows, so that because of love for him, all of the truth that flows for him also becomes precious. A desire to treasure the commands of God. Not, because they're, not just because they're inherently good, but because he spoke them. They flow from him. What issued from this change was a consuming passion to know God. These people of the New Covenant, we know, they became committed to the Scriptures, searching the Scriptures to know Him. They became committed to the prayers, to fellowship, to worship, because through those, Jesus was making Himself known, and that's what they wanted. He was making Himself known, and they couldn't stop talking about Him. And even under threat, they wouldn't stop. It wasn't just they couldn't. We will not stop. Paul explained Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. There is nothing, nothing worth, nothing worth more than knowing Christ. In, in short, they were filled with love for God. So this love that comes from God also became love for each other and for the world because that's how God is towards the world. They wanted to know God and they wanted everyone to have that joy. Not a false comfort, the real thing, God's love for the world, which is marked by his willingness to suffer, to suffer for the ungrateful, the unlovely, the nasty. That love comes from the Spirit, comes along with the Spirit. We are not naturally able to love the nasty. Those who are mean to us, those who are cruel, those who are unpleasant, other humans, but God's Spirit makes us able so the New Covenant people became marked by this character of God, love, which was so strange in that Roman world. 
So at the risk of being competitive, at the risk of being repetitive, the love they had for God came from him. And it was being offered back to him. And what the Holy Spirit brought, and what changes a person, what changed them, and what changes a person today, what the Holy Spirit brings is God himself and his character Self-forgetful, sacrificial love. That's what changes us. And you can't get it by being nice and well-mannered. And you can't get it by learning Greek and Hebrew. You can't get it by studying systematic theology. It's far simpler than that. That's all very complicated. It's very simple. New birth into the new covenant people comes from the Spirit. And the Spirit comes when we ask. He is for anyone who wants to be right with God. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For anyone who turns from faith in the self, from clutching control and demanding our own way, and who calls on his name for saving. The Spirit is for you. That's how we receive new birth. It's also how we grow in the grace and character of God. As I was sharing with the kids, it's, it's simple enough that three-year-olds can get it. We can get it. It's how we grow in grace and the character of God. We ask. We're saved from Egypt we're saved from our slavery by the blood and the Spirit, and we also grow in the character of God by the same Spirit. The Spirit who saves is the Spirit who transforms. The Spirit who makes alive is the Spirit who grows. So if you've given yourself to Him, God will grow you in grace one way or another. That's what He's about. He's going to grow you. It may be rough. He's going to do it, though. But we can cooperate with him by asking. We ask him to fill us. We ask him to change us. We ask him to show us, is there any unclean way in me? And I want to suggest, uh, on this Pentecost morning, that a prayer he will always answer is, Lord, help me to love you more. And kids, I want to put that prayer in your mind. Help me to love you more. That's a prayer you can pray every night. Lord, help me to love you more. Grow love in my heart. Grow love for you and love for others. And I want to invite you to that prayer together. Would you close eyes? Let's pray. Lord, would you help me to love you more? Would you grow love for you in my heart? I encourage you all to whisper those words.
Lord, we know that we have, we've come to learn. We have experienced and felt that we cannot, cannot rally ourselves enough. We can't willfully force ourselves to love you. We need your spirit. So work in us, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.